Hello. Hello. My name's Alex. And I'm Val. And we're here to do In at the End in Camelot. In Camelot is the name of the episode. We're doing it at the end in New York. We're doing it at the end in New York. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're not in Camelot. No. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering where we are and thought that perhaps we were in a mythical Arthurian castle town. We might have been. We're not, though. No, that's We're just in New York. We're doing season five, episode seven. Yeah. And, yeah, it's actually been a while. We haven't done an episode in a bit. Yeah, it's been a while for us, but they're still coming out because we were so on it. We were getting ahead. Yeah. Now you get the special episode, which is Val has a new job and has been working like crazy for two days, and I've been in the studio recording for two days so now we get to see each other and we talk about sopranos and i go back in front of a microphone well i was in front of a microphone <laughs> a guitar amp was in front of a microphone but it's like continuation of studio for me and we talk about sopranos yeah because this is what we do for fun yeah because we love this and we, we love sopranos love it so. um so let's do it i forget how we we how do we this, do this. <laughs> so yeah, I love this episode. It's a Steve mm-hmm. Buscemi directed episode. Terrence which is Winter wrote it. Cool. And there's like a lot, I don't know, like there's something about, there's something about Terrence Winter's episodes that maybe have this more than others. They're just like, the pace of them is really amazing. And they really focus in on like characters in a way that some of the other writers aren't able to do as well. I don't know. Yeah. Um, like in this episode, we get a lot, you know, we have the Christopher and JT Nolan storyline. Yeah. We have the Tony and Fran storyline mm-hmm. with like a few little things surrounding it, but not too much, right? And then we have Junior going to funerals yeah. as a storyline. And really that's it. Like that's what we're focusing on in this episode. Yeah, those really are definitely the two main stories that we have. And then we do see kind of other pairs of characters, which is interesting, and then some commonalities between the different storylines that we have. For instance, I was thinking about, like, Tony seeing Melfi very briefly and the relationship between Tony's therapy and the relationship between Christopher and JT and kind of seeing that dependency that they have upon each other in some ways as kind of a surrogate for therapy between... The two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some interesting things, like even like Melfi was saying about Tony's relationship with his mother, you need to forgive her and move on. There was kind of some parallels to like the, oh, I want to say AA, but I guess it's broader than that. The like addicts kind of recovery method that both JT and Christopher are going through. There was kind of something interesting. And also throughout that storyline, the really interesting thing for me is how Christopher continues to enable JT, whereas in the beginning of the episode, JT's actually looking out for Christopher. Yeah. And is actually caring about him and actually is concerned when Christopher is showing behavior that signals that he could be returning to addiction. Yeah, it's just such a great arc for... I mean, it's our first time seeing JT Nolan, right? Like, yeah. um, we see him in a few other mm-hmm. episodes, but this is our first with him. And we, you know, we, we're kind of launched into this thing. He's telling his story of his addiction. And then he thanks, basically, Christopher, right, for, like, being there for him when he was in rehab. And we see that go from a relationship that 
could maybe have been something positive, yeah. um, like had some glimmer of hope and like we could see what Christopher would have like seen in him, right? Like not as someone he could use to make money off of and, you know, beat up, um, but someone who like has a shared passion with yeah. him and someone who's been through the same stuff. And I guess they both work out. I don't know. We've never seen Chris <laughs> work out before, but they both like Diet Coke, you know? Um, and so we see this thing that actually could have been really quite lovely turn to complete shit. And we see how Chris just has zero comprehension of what his behavior does to other people. He, he, can, he can't see how he's being a hypocrite. He can't see how he's enabling. He can't see how someone wouldn't now come to him and say... Like, and, you know, let them know that they were using again when he's just been at his apartment beating them up. Right. So, I don't know. It's a pretty, like, and that all happens in this one episode. We have this Yeah, there's a great thing. arc, I think, yeah. for those two. It's, it's really awesome. I think it was, there was kind of a foreboding since I got from the very first shot. Well, not the very first, but the very first shot, I guess, we see of them is in the actual meeting. But shortly after when they are working out, you see the shot kind of open with the weights that JT is lifting going down kind of ominously towards his Adam's apple. Mm. And you see Christopher's wearing all black. He has this white, JT has this white shirt on. I think that there's kind of this like menacing aspect to Christopher that seems physically harmful to JT. It's reinforced by the color scheme that's we've talked about at many points that kind of gets reflected by other things in other episodes in this show. But I think that it starts off in a way where, yeah, they're kind of suggesting violence and we can kind of draw things from some of the first scenes that we're seeing. Yeah. Well, and then even when it's Chris's turn to bench press, he goes and puts more weights on, right? So, like, he um, like he is the more powerful right. of these two characters in, Interesting. The, in this scenario, Interesting. right? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually, that's that's great. Um, we have a, a line that both of us kind of pointed out um, in we paused on it um, was the line that JT uses in at the very end of, of the scene where he's in the I think it's an NA meeting or whatever AA NA meeting yeah um, he says that he took a moral and he he's thought it was time to take a moral inventory that's the last thing he says before before the scene cuts and I think that's really interesting. Like, if we think about, you know, a character like that, right, who's, like, been through struggles, right? He's, you know, left this life that he had in L.A., and he's, you know, uh, had this issue with drugs, but he, you know, he has these kids somewhere, I guess, in New Jersey also. Yeah. Um, he's coming out of um, this kind of dark point in his life, and he yeah. has some things on the horizon that could be really positive, right? Yeah. But, and so he is, he kind of like feels prompted to take this moral inventory, right? Like to look at himself and look at his, his ethics and look at the things that he believes or the things that, you know, the rights and wrongs in his life um, and actually like tries to be introspective on them. Now we see, you know, we see that he's not really, you know, 
he he's still got issues that he's grappling with. But Christopher would never do such a thing, like taking a moral inventory right. of his character, right? He just can't. He can't go that deeply within himself. Yeah, I think it's interesting too. Like we don't, really we never gross, see yeah. like, even though we know Chris was in rehab, right? Like we don't see him talking at a NA meeting or yeah. an AA meeting, right? Like I don't even know if he could really go that deep into himself to be able right. to tell his story truthfully, yeah, or not. And even when he is able to successfully adapt his behavior after going to rehab, it's just in a way where he basically learns to function. He learns to not drink. He learns to isolate himself from his triggers. But he doesn't go that extra level of taking a moral inventory and reflecting and having that kind of therapy-like aspect Mm -hmm. of the therapeutic process. Yeah, like does Chris have a sponsor? I don't think so, right? Like he's not really an AA. He says he's working the program, but I don't think he really is. I mean, is JT his sponsor? No. Okay, so yeah. So I mean, it definitely seems problematic for, for Christopher. And the relationship between Christopher and JT is interesting because Christopher is just so clearly enabling him. And I mean, we see JT basically switching his vice from narcotics and channeling his addiction into gambling i mean when he's saying things like games of chance i don't know there's just something to it yeah chris is offering him absolutely no support i mean he's actually basically encouraging his relapse which is in direct conflict i mean it's the exact opposite of jt who actually cared about christopher christopher is saying i know a heavy game that i can get you into he's kind of has these kind of like enamoring things that he should know would be drawing him in. Well, even just like hearing JT saying like these ga- these gambling games never held that much excitement from you. Now they do to be like I don't like, know, there's uh, something to it. It's hey like guy, I know what like, that is. That's yeah. called It's an addiction, right? An addiction like, to gambling. <laughs> <laughs> well, addiction to substances. I think yeah. gambling is one of them, right? But then yeah. we see Chris like and he's like and he's very critical, right, of of JT and knows he can manipulate him in that state, but He's drinking in this episode. Right. He's smoking weed. I mean, we do see a progression of Christopher's drinking, which is interesting. And I love, I mean, Terrence Winter is is such a great writer on this show. Um, There's just like subtle things that the point of this is kind of all these things that we're talking about. And yet there is plot development that happens at the same time. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the beginning and the end of the episode, Christopher's in a different place, but they don't even talk about it. It just kind of happens through the course of these other events and relationships that are unfolding. It's amazing. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, because at the very beginning of the episode, Christopher says to JT, I had some wine. I didn't even like it. I went to a meeting the next day, Mm -hmm. which of course is interesting because it's referring to when he guzzled a bottle of wine right, after hitting Adriana, crazy. which we yeah. saw. So it's interesting that for him the problem is that he drank wine. When he checks his moral inventory, the issue is that he was, to, you know, going back to a substance. It's all about him. It's not about the fact that he was abusing Adriana and there's yeah. this fucked up behavior. But even still, like in the course of Christopher's development within the episode, there is a progression from there, which is kind of the low point to the end where... We just see him just drinking. I mean, we basically, um, Little Polly, I think, is saying he's hitting the vein. Chris says, son of a bitch. And then he drinks a uh-huh. bunch of, of, I don't know, uh-huh. scotch or something. 
Um, it's like, like a rum and coke or something. <laughs> so, I mean, there's clearly a progression. I mean, he doesn't even care anymore. He's not even trying. And knowing Christopher and the addictive personality that he has, it's obvious that that's going to have some problems. I mean, he actually did need the structure that he's had largely in this season up until this point. And now that he's kind of abandoning that, it seems problematic and that there's, there's a, a high chance of relapse. Yeah. It's interesting when they're at the when they're at the bing and, and JT comes to meet Chris there. Um, he he says like we're like because Chris is like I just wanted to see if I could smoke weed right, like a normal, like a normal person. person, and he's like we're not normal. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's something that Chris really has an issue with yeah. is this concept of like being normal. He really doesn't like he really wants to be this normal guy. Yeah. And like it was even funny to see him going to the gym. Right. Like it was kind of like that is kind of like a normal. I don't think a, like a normal guy thing to do. You know what I mean? I don't know. Right. Like he really he does want to come across as that as if he doesn't have these issues, right? Right. But at the same time, um, yeah, like can't help himself. He's yeah. not getting the proper support that one would need to yeah. be able to abstain from those kind of things. Yeah, he is hanging out with a guy who says bro a lot. That's pretty normal. It was like a normal New Jersey guy kind of time. It is time. a normal New Jersey guy time. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, like, Christopher pushing him to this point, some of the scenes later on, like, when when JT is now kind of approaching a bottom of his own, when he goes to bring the Emmy to the pawn shop, and he's saying, this shit is huge, and the guy's saying, TV, and he's offering him $15. There's kind of, like, multiple things that are interesting about that for me. Um One just kind of like shitting on on the the medium. Well, and the medium that they're existing in. But it kind of ties into this, what's the point? And maybe this is a bit of a segue into the other storyline of Junior. Because Junior has an arc within this episode. Mm -hmm. And he kind of ends up at this existential crisis point. And he's proclaiming, what's the the point? We're Mm -hmm. back at this kind of big nothing question. Mm -hmm. And for me with JT, it's interesting because... He clearly is a talented guy who was living the dream, like he said, and had everything he basically could have imagined. And yet, and he even kind of like achieved success within his medium. Mm -hmm. And now it's meaningless. It's worthless. And he goes to try and trade in that dream that he had. Mm -hmm. And it's worth $15. Nobody gives a shit. So there's something to that because this shit is huge. Like for him to win an Emmy, like it is, I guess, in many ways a big deal. And it's especially a big deal for JT if that was his dream yeah. as a writer. And yet it's just, it's all collapsing. And at the end of the day, it's not material. It just kind of crumbles very quickly. And so there is something just about, well, what does mean anything? And what is what is important and what is huge and what does it even mean and what's the value of it and what are you left with well it was even the same with his car right like he says something similar about his car like this was his dream car or something like that right and again like it's like yeah it's worth more money than the emmy it like holds some value but at the same time like it's gone he doesn't have that anymore right like he's basically back where he started um, he's, he's probably behind. He's, he's behind, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it is an interesting statement. Like, what, like, what are our dreams worth, or what are our accomplishments worth? Yeah. If we don't kind of have a handle on the bigger elements of ourselves and our identities mm. and our 
and yeah. our lives in some ways too, mm-hmm. right? And, th- and that's where it kind of like ties into junior for me also. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And therapy also. Mm-hmm. I mean, and also Tony and Melfi, like kind mm-hmm. of doing a moral inventory, like you said, and getting to the root of who you are and what your triggers are and all of those aspects of yourself. Mm-hmm. So, um, I like that Chris brings up how John Favreau tried to steal his ideas. <laughs> Fucking John Favreau. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and it's still like to like the look of kind of like shock on his face when um, you know, when he's saying those last couple things to JT in the car at the end of the episode, right? And the look on JT's face, and then the look on Chris's face. He just doesn't get why this guy's upset. Yeah. He's like, why didn't you come to me? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's so crazy. Chris, not yeah. good. But, um, but great characters. I love it, you know. In its yeah. own way, it is believable. Oh, yeah, totally. So speaking of the big nothing and what's the point and what really means anything. Yeah. And our dreams are all meaningless. Um, how about Junior's development? That's good. I want to say, let's, we'll save the other one for our yeah. last little piece. Because that might be like kind of the main, yeah, totally. main part of the episode, totally. the meat of it for Yeah, me. Junior. He's going to a lot of funerals. He sure is. There's a lot of very morbid situations yeah. he finds himself but in. But interestingly, it starts off, like the first time we see Junior in this episode is at the fu- the first funeral, right? Conchetta's funeral. Conchetta's funeral. <laughs> Which he wants to sing at the after party, just like he did at Jackie He does, Jr.'s. but even before that, he, when Tony asks it, like, says to him, like, should we, you want to go see your brother or whatever, mm-hmm. like, to go visit Johnny's right. grave? Exactly. He's like, it's a beautiful day. Why spend it being modeling? Um, being modeling? Yeah. Modeling. What does he think he, what does that mean? <laughs> like, being, like, brute, like, I don't know, depressed and right. like focusing on the negative and focusing on death. Right. Um, interestingly, like had he gone with Tony to the gravesite, he would have seen Fran and like that. This it could have taken a different direction here. Yeah. Uh, which we'll you know we'll talk about Fran later, but he doesn't. He like you said, he goes to the the after party. Yeah. And he sings, he, you know, cool, he's like, no party. one wants to hear me sing. And then he, like, proceeds <laughs> to sing. Um, and, and the thing is, is people really don't want to hear him sing. If you, if you no. look at the way people are carrying their faces, they're not impressed. No. Yeah. But it's funny because, yeah, in the beginning of the episode, he's kind of singing through that morbid situation. And in the end, it's caught up to him and he is in a morbid situation. Mm-hmm. And even, like, the thrill that then he has from going to these funerals, right? Like, we do see him at the beginning of the episode, he's, like, clearly just looking for a way to get out of his house, right? Yeah. He He's, like, ex- he's getting all dressed up. He's excited. He's, like, yeah. comment... Even, like, even as the episode goes on where he's at, like, that child's... Fu- the grandson of his dry cleaner. Right. Um... And he's like commenting on how the chicken is nice spicy and chicken. spicy, you know. Mm, nice and spicy. And you know he's like, for it's I don't I don't really know how to, you know, make sense of it in some ways. But like he is getting joy out of going to these events that are pretty mm. like dark and depressing events. Yeah. None of those deaths are like happy. Absolutely, de- like, yeah. I don't want to say happy deaths, but you know what I mean. Like yeah, no, you're right. You, and you could see it, like you said before, like on the faces of the people there who really didn't want Junior to sing. It like wasn't appropriate. Where yeah. where it was at Johnny Sachs' funeral. 
or it was Johnny Sachs' funeral. Sorry, J- Jackie Jr. Jackie Jr.'s funeral. I mean, that wasn't really appropriate either. No. And Meadow was correct in thinking that that yeah. wasn't appropriate and wanting to leave. It's really messed up. Yeah. It's. I feel like one theme that comes out in this episode, like it does in almost every episode, is everybody only cares about themselves. So yeah. people can't kind of get out of their own frame of reference, and people can't understand other people's worries, concerns, backgrounds. It's just always about them. So mm-hmm. that kind of comes through. Strongly. Yeah. No, and it's like, it, but it's, yeah, it's more than that for Junior, though. Like, I don't think it's like, well, I think it kind of ends up to be about him, but he doesn't start off being about him, right? Like, he really just does talk himself into the fact that he's just looking to get out of the house. And then only in the, at the last funeral of, you can tell me who. Who, Jackie Jr.? No, the last funeral. Conchetta? The, the first one? No, the last one. Oh, no, Conchetta's one. husband. Yeah. Right, Conchetta's husband. Conchetta's husband's name, Nicola? Nicola. 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 Um, <laughs> does he have this meltdown, right? And I think he... Right. Uh, and I don't know what it is about that funeral that kind of, like, brings him to that, right? Is it the fact that you know, Kinchetta had this love and had this life no, that was fulfilling? I don't think so. I think the is point it is that, that it... he's close to, like, is that he's close to death? Yes. Um, For me. I think it has nothing to do with them. And I think that, like, when he starts crying, I'm wondering, what is he crying at? But it's just this idea of what's the point? And I think that, I mean, maybe it is precipitated by the fact that these two died. And even though, I, I don't think it's about them loving each other or their history. I think that he's so narcissistic that it's just about him and he's just kind of falling apart. No, but I was thinking like... It's a trigger, I guess, but... Yeah, but like we do have that comment from him when Tony tells him that he met Fran, right? Like he was like, she's the reason I didn't get married. Like I was so hung up on her. Right. Right? As he was stalking her and being crazy. Yeah, being really (laughs) insane. Um, which was also an interesting kind of insight into Junior, mm-hmm. but but I don't know. There was something. There was something there for me. Like there was there was a reason why we had that line in the beginning of the episode with him saying that 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 she's the reason he didn't get mm-hmm. married, and then that this happened right after they're talking That's a good about point. these two people. I don't know. Definitely. I I just I think that you're right. Like I think I think that there there well, I don't know. I think there is something in that funeral that does precipitate this. But at the same time, it's just it's it's completely about him. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's definitely not sadness for Nicola no, no, and no, Conchetta. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying either. Yeah. Uh, and you know, in the end of the episode, I mean, it becomes pretty bleak. Like we're left with Junior saying, "My life is only death. I have no children." <laughs> we'll see that too. Like that piece too. Yeah. Right. Like that. That's why that triggered that in me also. So yeah. Thanks for bringing up that line. No, totally. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, there is this kind of, this interesting kind of dichotomy, because Junior at the beginning, you know, he's talking about he doesn't want to be a morbid fuck, but then, you know, we have him scouring obituaries. We've brought up probably over five of these incredibly morbid situations where he's found himself in. Um, And it is, there's even, like, there's even other morbid situations that are kind of showing themselves in this episode outside of just Junior. That are that are coming up, like even like Fran, like putting the dog to sleep. There's like these like deaths that kind of show up in this just entire world that Sopranos creates. But Junior, as he's kind of figuring out who he is and how he wrestles with the world around him, is just kind of falling apart and and re- reaching that place of nihilism, that big nothing place. Mm-hmm. And in the end, it's hard to debate with that or 
reason with that because once you start to think on those nihilistic terms, what does matter? What does have purpose? And especially for the lives of these people, like what do they have? And they are surrounded by so much morbid there's there's just there's there's so much kind of morbid stuff going on around Mm -hmm. them um and above and beyond if they were ever to actually take stock of their own moral inventory it's very depressing yeah so i don't know what is important and that that idea that he you know like having children having family those things are somewhat more important and a lot of these people don't even have that so for junior Mm -hmm. he's a character who's reaching the end of his life and and doesn't have those things that could bring him some some more meaning yeah yeah um excuse me (laughs) yawning um yeah i want to talk about the other storyline because within that one were there any like symbols or anything like that that you wanted to point out in those two kind of parts of the storyline that we were talking about because there's lots in this one that i want to talk about let's go for it okay yeah um so yeah i think the main meat of this episode is the whole storyline surrounding fran yeah fran feldstein yep and yeah my my big question is and i'll get to some of the symbols later but like why was she there at that time is it just serendipitous i don't know there's something about fran yeah throughout the course of this episode that now that i'm watching it on many viewings there's something that carries Fran's character from the beginning to the end of the episode where she becomes less and less of a likable yep. character. Yep. By the end, actually, they've given us a lot of clues that she's a pretty bad person. Yeah, and the focus on Tony's face in this episode is are, is amazing yeah. when he's with her. His expressions are yeah. really amazing. And we see that change in him as well. So there's but then a, we're left with an intro, like then we're left with him kind of like making up a story about her, which yeah. is interesting too. But. There's definitely a certain degree of ambiguity that's left in terms of would Fran have concocted being there to get something out of Tony? It's possible. Like, I don't think so. And I, I never I interpreted. I don't think so, but it's but kind of too weird. It's possible. I mean, on most viewings that I had for a long time, that probably wouldn't even have entered my mind. But as I see it more and more, it is at least within the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many clues to her behavior of her also being a narcissistic. Like user. Maybe user yeah that it's entirely possible that she could have done that and that this hundred and fifty thousand dollar amount of money that she's fallen into is actually something that she could have planned or at least is is trying to yeah to create it's probably not a situation where she actually did place herself there but the way that this show embraces ambiguity it is definitely possible I found myself really surprised that Tony gave her the full 150000 Well, Tony has his own bag of woes that we'll get into. Yeah. I mean, he clearly has some, some major hang-ups with, with his mother and yeah. his father that are coming up and his relationships and his march to death. <laughs> it's, you know, so I, I think yeah. he does it for his own reasons. Yeah. But by the end of the episode... I think a couple different things happen. I think that he hardens to a certain set of beliefs towards women. And I think that he gets something from his relationship with Fran that that kind of feeds him by, by helping her. But there's also something very weird about this 
in Camelot idea that's linking to a lot of different places. Like it obviously links to the Arthurian legend. It links to JFK's administration, which was often referred to as Camelot. And for me, his family more. But... Cam- Camelot. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, the Camelot years around JFK. For me, though, there's something about that last scene where Tony is in a new place. In terms of his relationship with woman, there's like him smoking a cigar he, right after he's fabricating so the JFK story. Um, so, you know, he's saying these things like Jackie thought that the marriage was over. He's deliberately making up a so story about... she was about, with him for three years. She... Yeah, and he's he's coming up with all these details about Fran's relationship with JFK that are not true. And we actually know that he knows they're not true because we were there when Fran was telling him the details. Even if the details that Fran told us we don't know if are true. Right, yeah. And that's something I was thinking about. Is Fran's story of being with JFK a concoction? Because that's entirely possible. Totally. I mean, she shows a handkerchief. That doesn't really mean So anything. why do you think he makes up this story at the end? Like, Okay, well, I kind of, there's, a, there's a few things. Yeah. Like, I think that it relates to his relationship with his mother that he's kind of unpacking in therapy and I'm kind of coming to the end so that we can go back to the beginning with this in mind because I think that he hardens on his his stance on women there's like he's he's lying there's these scenes where there's like the focus on the dancers at the bing Mm -hmm. women who are kind of selling their bodies and I think that that's a relationship with women that he's comfortable with yep and there's something about that time where where Tony's father made him lie to Livia was a very important moment for him. Like for me that was like a pivotal psychic kind of uncovering of mm-hmm. something for Tony as a character. And it's like a moment where he was forced to take his father's side. He was forced to not look out for the well-being of his mother, yep. of his mother's health to kind of actively lie to her and give his po- his father power over his mother. And I think that that's now what he is embracing for himself as a person. He likes having these women kind of dancing around him. You know, he's having a cigar. He's in control. Um, but I think that that's an important moment for him. You know, even after he's reflecting on that, which is insane, he basically, he says, fuck her, which is crazy. I mean, even in that position too, like there's a, there's a good example of Fran not be, being who she seems because when Johnny Boy gets the call, about Livia having a miscarriage, um, which even as Tony says for a minute, she could have died. Yeah. Fran says the lamb chops are going to be overcooked. Yeah. So she doesn't give a fuck. Like, she really doesn't care. Yeah. And I think that this is all playing in. Like, I think there's something about who Fran is and that position that she had to his dad that he likes. And he likes that power dynamic. He likes that Johnny Boy had complete power over Olivia, that he could play into it. He likes that Fran didn't care about his mother and that they had this side kind of fling sexual relationship. And I think that is something that he embraces because it's easy. Because he doesn't uncover the problems that he actually has with his mother. Early on in the episode, you know, when he's in therapy, he's talking about his mother drove his father into the arms of other women. Well, the question is, did she? And um, Melfi says, it's possible it was painful for her. And he says, oh, poor her. Which is interesting because that's an appropriation of something that she always said. And he had problems with. But throughout the course of this episode, Tony is having these issues with his mother. And he's not getting to the root of the issues that he could have with his father. 
He's not taking yeah. a moral inventory of his father's behavior. He's just offloading everything onto his mother. And at the end of the episode, it's actually a moment where he has the potential to realize the psychic harm that his dad caused him. And he completely doesn't take that opportunity, throws it on his mother. And for me, at the end of the episode, helps out Fran, who, I mean, we'll get into many examples. Yeah. But over the course of the episode kind of unfolds to be somebody who isn't really caring, is looking out for herself, isn't really together as a person, could be a liar more than we even know. Well, I think, yeah, I think that's kind of more how I see it. I think like why Tony ends up telling that story at the end of the episode is because he sees that his father was also kind of manipulated by Fran. Mm. And I don't think does see Johnny as strong, like actually kind of sees him and people who get manipulated by people like Fran as weak. Mm. And I think he doesn't see himself as strong in this scenario. So he has to make up this other story. He has like, in order to feel like he didn't get manipulated by her into giving her that $150,000 and that Johnny didn't get manipulated by her, like her charmingness. Like she, yeah. Um, you know, like that, and like why he had slippers at her house and stuff like that, you know, like she, I think that Tony saw that and had to like rapidly back away from that because mm. that was that kind of like put into upheaval his view of his father too much. Mm. And same with these kind of, and I think like that's kind of common throughout this episode is like he come he like comes to the, these moments where he can actually see his father for who he is yeah and it's like too much he has to back away from it he can't yeah like that line where he's like fuck her right like right. In, you know like he comes really really close to like actually seeing something for what it is yeah. and he has to like just back right off of it yeah um i mean it's almost like comical it's so ridiculous that he's in yeah. that situation then he says fuck her like it's crazy but you can see like but that's the thing like you just like see him kind of like almost like he's on the brink of tears he's like almost at this point and he just can't let himself feel that he can't let himself go there yeah um yeah and i like the, i like the flashback that we get in this episode it's like a deep part of tony that totally we haven't had access to before yeah no absolutely um so okay so fran as a person there's just so many examples of her behavior that doesn't imply that she's a good person mm-hmm. so like a couple examples i mean a big one is when tony is kind of stopping the conversation when he says wait this was after my dad has emphysema and you yeah. still smoked even my mother stopped smoking um there's her buying the 600 hundred dollar on sale shoes yeah. instead of paying off her electricity yeah, like her electricity ostensibly and her, her, and her, or her rental, phone bill rather. which is yeah. interesting because yeah then it's you're just kind of thinking about well is she kind of using at this point to kind of get something yeah you know um what are some other examples anytime like anytime tony tries to talk about something kind of real with her Mm -hmm. she like can't engage in those kind of conversations that even tony who's someone who you know like yeah like what i i've lost say about tony but like even tony's like what like he's like trying to engage in these kind of conversations with her about his dad and she just kind of like talks about frivolous things yeah or doesn't hear. I think the fact that she has hearing loss is really mm, that's interesting. Yeah, key in this one too, because it right. kind of like keeps her in her own right. like narcissism and in yeah, her own absolutely. head too. But it's yeah. interesting. 
Um, an, an example is like when Tony says that if it had been up to my mom, my mother would have had the dog killed mm -hmm. when he was talking about. But he put, but she put the dog. Well, exactly. No, yeah. exactly. So Fran did do that. Yeah. So the thing that he holds against his mother is something that Fran actually did, yeah. even though he's ingratiating himself to Fran and seeing her in this positive light, because Fran, she went, <laughs> as soon as her son went to Tel Aviv, she put the dog to sleep. Mm -hmm. So actually there was no like generosity of Fran towards the dog really. Like she killed it basically as soon as her son left. Yeah, oh shoot. You know what? I wish I had written down this thing. Um, I think it's really, it's interesting about, we'll talk more about the dog too, but there's a line in the beginning of the episode when they're at Tony's for the barbecue. Yeah. And he's talking about Tippy. And he, Tippy. Tippy. <laughs> and he's like, I really, I thought she went to the farm. And Janice has a line. It's something along the lines of like, he's, uh, I forget the word she uses, but like he, that he's like pessimistic about mm. every, not, it's, but it's not pessimistic. That he's like a cynic or something like cynical about everything except for this, right? Like, right. That even like he, right. he often will see the right. bad At the side very in things. Right. The beginning of the episode. Yeah, he'll see the bad side in things except for in this one scenario. Right. And it's kind of like that with Fran, as a whole, right? Mm. Like, he, you know, like he kind of goes along with her bullshit for a long time. Mm -hmm. But also that, like, you know, um, like you were saying, like that he like puts this on to Livia that she did that. We don't even know if that's a true story, right? Like we don't even know if it was Livia who wanted to get rid of the dog because it was scooting its butt all over the carpet or whatever. Right. That's just something right? that Tony basically that's what he That's what he's told himself mm -hmm. about why the dog went to the farm. He doesn't know the, he doesn't know the true story. He doesn't even know. He didn't know until didn't this know episode that, this was, that a thing. this was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there is just like, a strain well also i mean her drinking vsop in the car handing it off to, yeah. to tony when you think about um He's christopher driving. and jt in the yeah. same episode like enabling behavior or just bad general behavior in terms of substances yeah it's definitely not a great move not a great look um but there is just this very strange dynamic between them like what is their relationship in the early parts of the episode um, her complimenting his mother's looks. Your mother was a handsome woman. Mm -hmm. Asking when about Tony's like walking woman. Walking arm in arm. Walking arm in arm. Um, Tony saying, you got a lot of class. Her response being like your woman because that's something that he said about Valentina. Mm -hmm. So there is this weird like quasi-sexual relationship between them that's just very tense. Yeah, that's Melfi's not very, wrong. Melfi is not wrong and it's very weird. Um, and when she sings that happy birthday, Mr. President. Which is an interesting scene, too, because that happens right after she looks at herself in the mirror. So yeah. we've talked a lot about mirrors, reflecting people, people seeing themselves in mirrors and then kind of coming to judgments about themselves or being forced to take somewhat of a moral inventory of who they are, mm. I guess. So for her to do that and then, you know, kind of partake in this kind of sexual behavior or this kind of... Yeah, this this thing that is associated with kind of seducing someone yeah, yeah. Um, is interesting because that's something that when she looks at herself, I guess that's what she sees. And that is her identity. She has a picture of herself as a young woman. Like, that is yeah. her identity. Well, it's she like, likes these shoes and she likes this image. Yeah, and yeah. she is like Valentina. The one line we get, we've had from Valentina in a long time was when tell they're Val having, tell Valentina <laughs> you, you love her, her, right? Talking about yourself in third person very narcissistic like looking yeah. at someone in the mirror right like yeah 
Um, and actually that scene for me also, talking about the sexual connection between Fran and Tony, that connects me from Tony to Fran. Because Valentina says, tell Valentina you love her. Then Tony looks up, sees the William Wegman dog poster, mm -hmm. which is an association to Fran because that's an association that he's making to his dog, Tippy, that was given as freckles to Fran. So there is this weird connection in that moment that's like not many degrees of separation away from no. his dad's gumo. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then also that, that line that's interesting for me about revealing Fran as a character is when she was talking about if you're with a powerful man, you have to make them feel powerful. Mm -hmm. So that Mr. President thing to Tony, it makes me wonder, is that a certain kind of level of manipulation well that's what i like that's kind of like what i was referencing before right like that's i think when tony really saw her as the manipulator that she is yeah and yeah and and that his dad would have also been manipulated yeah. by this kind of behavior yeah 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 no absolutely um but yeah she like largely just has no substance um she wears she wears interesting outfits. A lot of her apartment and a lot of her clothing is kind of like greenish floral. Mm. Um, but a very muted green, like a very like almost like taupe, like a greenish taupe color. Right. Um, there is one scene where she's wearing this all black sequin outfit and then pink when they go to dinner. Mm. But but a lot like her space is really green. And I I don't know, you know, like, again, I don't like to like just because the teams used symbolism one mm -hmm. way or we've interpreted the use of symbolism one way one time doesn't mean it's always that way. Yeah. But they do also, like, when they're in the car, they are driving by, like, they're driving through this really, like, forested area. Yeah, and in a way that we've seen many times, especially in the first seasons of, mm -hmm. like, behind windows, seeing greenery like that, mm -hmm. reflecting certain But themes. I saw it yeah. in, like, yeah, in her clothing and in her apartment, there was something, like, the fact that it was all, it was very stylized. It was very floral mm -hmm. um everything was like everything was kind of decorated her she wears a lot of makeup um her wallpaper everything was kind of like giving off this image but then we find out that she doesn't pay, pay her rent. rent yeah right right um, right so it's all projected yeah, yeah it's all like a and veneer. then yeah and so like then compared to kind of like the real greenery that we see right on the outside it was so much more like brighter and more vibrant right um, it's also like it's a reflection of nature in some ways like that kind of like wallpaper and stuff but yeah these characters are kind of like putting up a facade to deal with their death and their you know their existence yeah because you know a lot of characters do kind of fall into these existential crises and various characters who aren't they're only not because they've set up their own kind of psychic barriers mm -hmm. to it mm -hmm. of these kind of like mm -hmm these basic things that help get them through it. Even like the very beginning of the episode, Tony meeting Fran in the graveyard, there is this relationship for me between those two and death, the generational divide of like Tony and then Fran, and then they're surrounded by tombstone. So mm -hmm. they're both kind of marching towards their own death. And there's this kind of aspect of the transience of time of seeing Tony's dad's Guma there. And Tony's now face to face with her. Like time has passed something from an old generation is now confronting Tony. They're both closer to death than they were, but Fran is much closer. And just kind of this relationship between them, the relationship both of them have to their own death, similar to Junior is, is dealing with. 
there's just there's kind of something there in the way that their relationship is framed right away. It's framed with this environment of dying. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. I think, too, like an interesting part of it for me was the whole involvement with Hesh. Um, Mm -hmm. So, of course, like, you know, it's like kind of more like a story point that there's this racetrack, like a now a beat down racetrack where they race old cars. Strangely, that's coincidentally again, there's a few coincidences in the episode. Coincidentally had just been sold when they when they went there. Um, Who knew? Who knew? But that Hesh, like Hesh never really liked her. Right. Right. Like Hesh, like always said, like there was something about her that always rubbed me the wrong way. Right. Right. Um, and I think it's interesting to see different people as judges of character. Right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, and again, like kind of going back to that, like being, you know, strong enough to not be manipulated. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting to see that kind of like in counterbalance with each other. Yeah. Different characters, not like not falling for the facade. Yeah. And I mean, like, and you can even, like, with Tony, right? Like, Valentina is not a classy woman. Like. <laughs> not really, no. She's not. Right. <laughs> it's okay. You don't yeah. have, like, not everyone has right. to be classy, but she's just not. Right. And so, but, like, you can Even fall. Tony's judging, yeah. Even the but, way like, that he But, like, the pers- way he yeah. sells her, right, is, like, as Working an art at an dealer. Art gallery. No, she, as an art dealer. As an art dealer. Yeah. So she, it seems like she works at, like, a frame store. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, so it's kind of the same thing that he's then doing later for Fran. Right, exactly. Um. So that's interesting. Yeah. There's a lot with animals. There is. I mean, that scene of Hesh's house where on every single wall there's a painting of a horse on, like, the northwest east side. So yeah, the and then we and go then we into Mel's to Junior, office. Yeah, Junior's lawyer. And there's, like, horses everywhere. multiple horses that we pass by in the shot. Yeah. It's wild. I've never seen so many horses. So I don't, like, and I'm still trying to, like, figure out why. I, well, I know why they're putting that there because I think there is this connection. Well, I don't know why. I shouldn't say that. That's cocky. But... There, because of this connection to Tony and his childhood dog, and that this is this thing that kind of does like bring up these emotions in him and allow him, I think, to explore a part of his childhood, right? Like by thinking back on this time with the dog and the situation surrounding the dog, he actually does kind of like get a little bit deeper into his psyche, right? Mm-hmm. Like he remember he like he's like, but I thought it went to the farm, you know? Yeah. He then has to kind of like go inside himself and question some of these yeah. things that he's just assumed were correct. Right. Yeah. Again, he still has his like misconceptions probably with like, you know, who gave away the dog and stuff like that. But I think it is it's like Tony and the kids are watching Beethoven at the beginning of mm-hmm. the episode. But it's his connection to animals that I think is almost like the key to his inner Hmm. self. I mean, like we do see him in this episode get closer, I think, than we do often to actually like uncovering some real truths about himself. Yeah, like that scene where he reflects on his mother's miscarriage for me seems like as pivotal as a psychic kind of revelation Mm -hmm. as the meat scene earlier Mm -hmm. on in the Mm -hmm. series. Me too. Like, it seems very pivotal. Mm-hmm. And yet, what he draws from it is laughable. Yeah, but I do think, I, I think he, I don't think he can throw all of it away. Right. You know, like, even though, like, to, like, come come across as strong, he can say, like, fuck her at the end of that. Like, he doesn't, right. it's, 
and it was it was the same kind of with the meat, right? He kind of tossed that one off too. Yeah, you know, it's true. And maybe that's like part of this show too is like we can wrestle with these revelations and and ideas about his past and melfi can draw the connections but does tony do anything with it and so far the resounding answer is no he just doesn't do anything with it yeah so that's kind of where it's left and like if you are confronted with these things and you think about them but don't care doesn't matter yeah well what's the point does anything matter yeah is it all big nothing probably probably does winning an emmy matter probably not (laughs) Does having great dreams and achieving them all matter? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. We're at that point again where we've been watching The Sopranos for five seasons and we fall into an existential dread hole. Yeah. Um, That's basically it. Okay. I think it's summertime. Dread. In this this episode. Yes. That's nice. Um, so I just like to keep track of time sometimes Mm -hmm. because I think we get back to winter in this season if I'm not mistaken Mm. or at least autumn late autumn right I think autumn for sure um but I thought it was funny that Tony has a barbecue but then they come and eat their food inside (laughs) right I love the way actually the episode starts it's just like in the middle of a conversation between Tony and Janice which is actually like when you think about sitting down to write an episode such an interesting move yeah like to start in the middle of a converse- conversation and moreover it's really Tony and Janice resolving an issue so they don't show you the issue they show the resolution mm-hmm. it's, inter- it's an interesting technique yeah. it just kind of drops us in it does have kind of a sense of I guess reality or something like in terms of the scope of this show it does have a sense of real life yeah even though you would expect to hear the whole conversation, yeah. but you just feel like you're a part of this family or something, and it just it all kind of connects to the other episodes. Yeah, but then weirdly we have a scene right after that scene that is like less real than we usually have in The Sopranos, where we hear Tony talking still to Janice, but yeah. the scene of the funeral is already being projected, it's true. and we're like looking into the funeral while yeah. that's happening. Yeah, that's true. So it's that is a technique that this show doesn't typically use. Yeah. Um, does it matter though? I don't know. Nothing matters. Does anything matter? Nope. Oh, cool. (laughs) Well, great. Yeah, this season's a real uplifting one. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I don't know. Write us a review, don't write us a review, doesn't matter, whatever. Yeah, we don't (laughs) write us, don't write us, doesn't matter. We like to talk about it, but. It's all big nothing. <laughs> if uh, if you also feel depressed about <laughs> watching The Sopranos, we can have a support group. Yeah, Sopranos support group. We, we we'll meet... provide Christopher level support. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Melfi level support. That's nice. Yeah, for each other. <laughs> it's okay. We're almost there. Getting near the end of season five. Oh, don't I say that to me. Okay, I won't say that to you. It doesn't matter anyway. Nothing matters. No. Well, thanks for listening to the show. You guys are great. Not that it matters. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We gotta go. Okay, we gotta go. Bye.